Welcome to Recloseted Radio. This is the top-rated podcast for slow fashion founders. Whether you're thinking about launching a slow fashion brand, scaling an existing clothing brand, or making a brand more environmentally friendly, we have you covered. I'm your host, Selena Ho, the founder and CEO of Recloseted. Each week, I'm sharing my proven strategies or interviewing industry experts. Without any further ado, let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of Recloseted Radio. In this episode, I am joined by Jordana, who is the co-founder of Fash Innovation, a global platform bringing innovation and technology to the fashion industry to create more sustainability within supply chains And she's also the author of a recently published book called It Can Be You, Humanizing Homelessness. Jordana has so much to say in this episode around sustainability, technology and innovation, as well as diversity and inclusiveness. So make sure you tune in to this episode. And before we dive into this episode, I did want to mention that if you would like to make your brand more conscious or more sustainable and work with us to help make that happen, Spots are filling up to work with us in a sustainability consulting capacity this year. So if you're interested, we can help you with your strategy, making sure that you achieve your objectives with the timelines, the budgets, and the resources that you have. We will also work with you to create a roadmap because sustainability is not achieved overnight and this is going to be a multi-year process so we can help you break that down. And then, of course, on a more tactical basis, we can help you source better materials as well as more ethical manufacturers. We can also help you with reporting and analyzing your impact so that you are able to measure this internally, but also communicate this to your customers as well. And then last but not least, we can also help you with your communication strategy. So how do you communicate that you are now being more intentional and sustainable without coming across as greenwashing? These are all items that we are equipped to help you and support you with. And so if you are interested in our sustainability consulting services, feel free to book a complimentary discovery call with me, Selena Ho, the founder of Recloseted, and we can see if it's a fit to work together. You can book your call at www.recloseted.com call or click the link in the show notes. And now let's dive into this episode with Jordana. Well, welcome, Jordana, to Recloseted Radio. I am so excited to chat with you and have you on our podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Of course. And so to kick things off, I always ask the same question, but can you tell us a little bit about yourself and give us a quick overview of your career? Yes, for sure. So my name is Jordana Guimarães. I was born and raised in Brazil. My parents are Egyptian, Lebanese, Tunisian. And I came to the U.S. when I was like 13. Really, my background right now, my business that I currently run as the co-founder is Fashion Innovation. Fashion Innovation is a global platform that focuses on four key pillars, which are innovation technology, sustainability, inclusivity, and entrepreneurship in fashion. And our whole premise of why we do what we do is that we feel there is a big misconnect, just like on a human to human level, you know, when it comes to how do we become more sustainable as an industry, what technologies can we adopt? And we really want to make it where relationships are formed so that steps are taken for the right future of fashion to come forward that we're all looking and hoping for. So that's, you know, my company super exciting. Yeah, that's amazing. And before you started Fashion Innovation, what did your career look like and what actually prompted you to start it? You talked about it a little bit, but I would love to dive deeper. Yeah, no, so it's really interesting. I have a very unorthodox background in terms of like how I got to where I am. But I, after high school, never went to college, not because I don't believe in institution of education, I super do, but it just wasn't for me. And so I decided to just start working in different types of 
spaces industry. So I worked in real estate, I worked in banking, I worked in hospitals, I worked in retail. And through all of my jobs up to the age of 23, I would change quite often. As soon as I would get a compliment, I would be like, I'm bored, I won't go to the next. And I realized that the thing that I loved most about all of them was communications and dealing with people and making people happy whether I was selling or whether I was dealing with customer service, whatever I was doing. And then when I realized that, and because I loved reading, I loved writing, I loved like all of those things, I came across public relations. Once I learned about it, I was like, this is for me. So for 15 plus years before fashion innovation, I was a publicist for a lot of the bigger brands like Unirishi, Porsche, Zion, Lanvo, et cetera. But also for a lot of the startups doing like pop-ups and just traveling around the world and doing what I loved, working with brands to help them elevate their voices and their message to the world. And also giving back was always a huge thing for me. So I would always try to find organizations that we could tie everything that I did with fashion to, to be able to give back with everything that we were doing. So that was really my background. And then I met my husband who comes from entrepreneurship, go-to-market strategies, technology, innovation, not at all fashion. And when we met and we had two babies back-to-back, he was like, why don't we create something of our own? Would it make sense to merge our worlds and our backgrounds? And I was like, I think so. And fashion innovation was born. So it's, <laughs> it was an interesting journey to where we are today, for sure. Very cool. And so what is your vision with fashion innovation? So, you know... Because I was in fashion and the PR level, but just seeing like how I feel like fashion has this reputation of being kind of like an empty, like kind of um, everybody out for themselves, like kind of superficial industry, right? A lot of people think of it as that way, very exclusive, which it is in some ways, and it's getting better to be more inclusive. But for me, you know, I always, when I was doing PR for different brands, I was always like, man, wouldn't it be cool if like discovered that we just got into reach you to be in Vogue if this woman was like someone who looked different? It wasn't like the typical, you know, beautiful beauty pageant queen type of look that we're usually seeing in covers. I always had all these visions and fashion innovation for me, even though we speak a lot of tech and sustainability, it was just about making the world a better place through fashion. And because I didn't have the business background, but my husband did. And he knew that that was always my dream of like, how can I improve the industry? Not saying that I'm like Mother Teresa, but I'd love to do better, you know, do good with different things. And my husband, because of the business, he was like, I'm going to, I'm going to build a company for you to where your vision, you were always doing it in a small scale. You could really take it to the masses and make it big. So my husband really gave me the greatest gift by building Fashion Innovation with me because I was able to really accomplished making the world a better place using tech towards sustainability and fashion, which I think sustainability encompasses so much more than just the fibers and the clothing, but people. I always think of people when I think of sustainability. So that was kind of the vision. Amazing. There's so many things I want to ask you about, but I'm going to go in a sequential order. So our listeners aren't like all over the place, but let's talk about the four pillars you mentioned. So entrepreneurship, sustainability, technology, and diversity inclusion. I know these are all things that you care about. And so can you speak to how your business tackles all of them? Because that's a lot to take on. Yeah. So I always say, you know, that through entrepreneurship, you can make change, you can give opportunities. Entrepreneurship is kind of like the umbrella to everything else in terms of like somebody creating a company or creating a brand and being able to do right by that brand towards including all of those other pillars that I mentioned. So entrepreneurship is really kind of like the core of what we started with, always inviting CEOs and founders to speak. And so that that kind of speaks to that. And also really also kind of giving an opportunity for the audience by getting CEOs and founders only to speak, to give them, to spark an entrepreneurial mindset. Because I think everybody has ideas. Sometimes they don't know how to start, where to start. So I think having that day one perspective was really important to us. So that, and we also keep our events free and open to everybody so that everybody's allowed to be a part of the conversation, you know, and be able to have that opportunity. Um, sustainability, for sure, is something that we have tackled on in the sense of, okay, sustainability means so many things to so many different people right? Everybody has a different definition. You have one, I probably have a completely different one, maybe the same, but different in aspects. So we just started inviting all walks of life, different, very diverse individuals to be in the same conversation on stage together, to really almost have like a meeting of the minds. They normally wouldn't speak, 
but through speaking about sustainability, sharing their different visions, maybe they can come together and create a unified meaning of what sustainability means. So, you know, when I talk about diversity, we have from like Coco Rocha to Susan Rockefeller to Ambassador of the UN to Diane von Furstenberg and then Ryan Leslie with Superphone. So it's really diverse. But again, we think that bringing those different voices and focusing on sustainability and even if they're not sustainable when it comes to what whatever the person's definition of sustainability like let's say Diane von Furstenberg, she thinks sustainability because her dresses last a really long time. You don't get rid of it. You either sell it so it's secondhand or you give it to your sisters or, you know, you keep it for a long time. So in a sense, that's sustainable because you're not buying to dispose, right? So we just try to get everyone's definition and try to unify that. So that's kind of the long-term and fashion innovation with that. Technology innovation, it's something that I feel it's needed because it's something that's coming so quickly to the industry and people are not adapting because of the fear of the unknown or the fear that they don't know enough about it. If you go to like a BOF or WWD, any other platform, they speak of it, but they speak about everything. So it's just like you have to really look, right? You have to search to find where we want to really facilitate and explaining what technologies are available so that the creative understands it in their language and the tech company can become a part of the ecosystem of that brand. So that's how we do with tech. And then last but not least, diversity inclusion is something that I feel is just kind of said in everything else that I explained, because again, of the different walks of life and the different people that we bring together and not just focusing on the very big names. I don't really only think of color and ethnicity when I think of uh, diversity inclusion. I also think of backgrounds. So we'll have, let's say, the Kenneth Cole, but then we'll have a fabric maker in Nigeria in the same conversation. So I think that's super important. Anything that we want to do, anything that we want to move forward to, all voices have to be a part of it. So that's how we tackle them. Yeah, that was great and very succinct given how much you're covering. And so I do want to dive a little bit deeper into each pillar as well, because it seems like you have gotten the opportunity to meet and chat with a bunch of different people and get those perspectives, which is really amazing. And so from a sustainability perspective, because this is what this podcast centers around, what do you think are some of the biggest challenges facing the industry right now? I think there's a few things. One, as I mentioned, no one really knows. Everybody knows what it means to them, but no one knows what is it supposed to mean for all of us to take action together. I think another thing is we see a lot of the very big players that they are adopting technologies to be more sustainable, but it's like a handful. That, and these this handful of like companies that are starting to make a difference, that are making headway into sustainability, they, they seem to be a part of every conversation surrounding sustainability. It's usually the same speakers speaking in circles about the same thing. And then other people are not really getting in a bandwagon. Two reasons. One, because if they're a smaller company, they maybe don't have the budget to be able to do all these things. Or two, it's because it is already a very big company, but they think that they're like, they don't really understand it fully to know where to start. I feel like the industry thinks that we're making headway because again, we see the handful and there's being spoken about so much in every platform. So we're like, oh my gosh, sustainability, people really get it now. But in reality, it's like 1% of the 100% that needs to get it, that get it. And with 1%, change is not going to be made. And I also think last but not least, it's really the fact that corporate is not doing a good enough job in getting down to like the salesperson in their retail store to explain how this company is sustainable. If the person working at the retail shop doesn't even know how to explain that to you, and I've done research myself personally, I've gone, every time I go into a mall now, I make a point to go into every store and ask, do you know where your clothes are made? They look at me like I have 10 heads. And then I just ask, is any part of this brand sustainable? They're like, my manager is going to come back in like 30 minutes. You can ask her, she'll maybe not. The fact that the people that work for the company can't answer these questions, something is really wrong with like, how are we, you know, how, how do we expect the general consumer to know if they don't know, you know, like it's, I think there's like a, there's a problem in terms of just like, how are we getting the message across? How well we're educating not only the consumer, which is a whole problem in its own, but our own, you know, our own employees, our teams, 
And then again, just big, big events, not giving the opportunity for people that maybe are not those big names that they think everyone wants to hear from. Because I think by getting the startups that are born into sustainability to be a part of those conversations, I feel like the startup could teach the enterprise so many things today with sustainability, but they're not given the opportunity. And I think this is where another problem lies. So I think there's a lot of issues, but again, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer because I do see change. There is change. Even if it's 1%, it's happening. But I think we don't have that much time to keep like inching up by 1%, you know? So that's, that's where my, my, uh, my fear comes in. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you because if you look at it on the surface level, to your point, it does seem like progress is being made, which is really promising. But then at a lot of these conferences and events, yeah, it's the same people over and over again, which is which is nice, but we need to involve more people and have different perspectives and opinions. And so you spoke to a little bit already around involving startups, but do you think there's anything else we can do to get the ball going? I think there's a lot of systems being put into place by like major, like there's, there's one and I can't think of her name, of course, because her mind just blanked out, but there is a lady who literally implemented everything an enterprise brand needs to become more sustainable. She's actually just, she has banks and investors in China. It's actually happening in China, but she's doing it for the Western uh, market. And she's taking money from the Chinese government and investors that came in on this project. So let's say Kenneth Cole wants to start adopting more sustainability into all across the supply chain of what he's doing. She's actually saying, okay, we're going to pay to make this happen for you. We're going to give you step A, step one, step two, step three, step four. So there are people that are really trying to say, we'll pay for everything. You have nothing to lose. You just start by doing this small thing. And then the person will do it. Did that make a difference? Yes. Okay, now let's go to step two. So there are people trying to do these types of things. And I wish I knew the name right now because I would love to give her credit for what she's saying because it's so cool, but my mind totally went blank. So that's something, right? So I think more people, I think if more manufacturers, the people that are not the designers, if they can come up with better solutions, if they can start implementing, if they can start investing into things where the next time a brand comes in, even if they're not sustainable, they say, oh, so glad to have you back doing this new collection now, but we're now offering this sustainable solution. It's like maybe this much more, but, you know, so I don't know. I think maybe that could be something. And I just think, again, like just really making everyone a part of the conversation. I think that's the number one thing. I think if like business or fashion, I'm not saying they're not doing a good job at it. I, I think everybody does great at what they're doing. But I think if they were to, in their next like BOF talks that they do, put like, let's say Michael Priceman of Everlane speaking to like a startup, right? And having the two kind of engaging conversation about what they're doing in different ways towards sustainability, I think it's going to bring a lot more, a lot of different communities to the conversation to listen, to be a part of it. So I think it's just, that's the main thing is really we speak of inclusivity, but how inclusive are we being really as an industry, right? Because I realize even when we do our own event, when we do something that we're like, hey, this is an exclusive event for 30, 25 people, the big people run to be a part of it. When we say, hey, we're doing this event for a thousand people and it's going to be a mix of all different types of people. They're not so quick to say yes. And they're like, who else is going to be on stage? Are they going to be as big as I am? And some people have turned down the opportunity to speak because they said, I only speak if people in my caliber speak with me on stage. So if we're not willing to open up the doors for other people to be a part of the conversation with us, I mean, there's no change that's going to happen, you know? So I'm just, yeah. So I don't know. I, I hate to like be like the blunt, like this is what the problem is, but I see that as a huge issue. No, it's good to be really transparent around what's going on because a lot of people just gloss over these things, right? And so if you're not in the industry or you're just starting, these are good things to know and really figure out what you should focus on and what you should really try to do to push the needle. And so another thing you talk a lot about is technology and innovation. And there's so much happening in the space right now with like NFTs and the metaverse and crypto. And so I'm really curious around what you think some of the biggest challenges are for the fashion industry to incorporate some of these new innovations. 
I think the biggest issue is that we seem like, again, and I, I hate to like repeat this, but it's, it's something that I feel like there is adoption happening, right? Like AI, virtual reality, uh, 3D, everything like, you know, happening and like metaverse is starting to come about. So a lot of people were first adopters, but there's still a lot of people that don't even know how to get into that. But I think it's the same thing. I think the industry is very quick to come up with trend, 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 right? And again, only 1% or, you know, are taking part in these new technologies. And I think until we've figured out, let's say this trend and this trend, let's, let's choose three, right? Three things that maybe we're going to focus on. I feel like as soon as it becomes like old news to that group of people, they're on to the next trend. And I think we have to be a little bit slower in terms of like, no one is trying to win a race. Like, let's figure out like what works. Let's really do it well. Let's all implement it into our business model so that we're all successful to then go to the next thing that is out there that is coming out. So I think for me, the metaverse, I can't, I know what it is. I understand how it works, but I feel like first things first, if a brand is going to go into the metaverse, you want obviously consumers to come in and be a part of it, right? Majority of the world, you know, and there's a lot of third world countries and such, they don't even have computers. They don't even have phones. They don't even have a way to get into the metaverse. So that's one. Two, the people that do have computers, as I, and I said this previously at a really recent event that I did, they don't even know really how to use Instagram yet. I do Instagram lives where like my guest doesn't come in and it's a really high C-suite person in fashion and they're trying to get them to do an Instagram live on their computer. And after a while, I'm like, are you using a phone? They're like, oh my God, I was trying to use it on my computer. I didn't know I had to be on my phone. So <laughs> if we still have those types of issues, you know, how do we expect the metaverse to be something that people get right away? I think it's going to take a really long time. So I just think, I think it's amazing. I think the technologies that are out there are great, especially the ones that are focusing on circularity or more sustainability, secondhand, like Recurate and so many others that I love right now that I think are doing a really great job. But I just think we have to slow down, focus on a few, and then have other things come about. Because again, the biggest issue that we didn't tackle yet is sustainability. So I think like there's no reason to run to metaverse and NFTs in this moment. I think there's much bigger issues at hand. I think that should be like something that comes much later once we figured everything else out. But that's just my opinion, you know, but I think it's cool. Yeah, no, that completely makes sense. And it's a good way to put it. I really liked how you talked about trends because it's true. Like, I think a lot of us get shiny object syndrome, like, oh, this is a new thing or this is a new buzzy thing. But for a lot of our clients and also our community, they're more like small to medium sized brands. And so they already don't have resources and budget and they're so overwhelmed trying to keep up with all of this. So what advice would you have to them if they're trying to figure out like, how do I take advantage of this technology? Because it's really overwhelming. Well, now, shameless plug, but we just launched our tech directory and our platform. I'm really excited about it because now any brand can just go on and they can just browse at no cost um, and it's categorized. So depending on what the pain point is or what they're looking to get, they can literally click on that and it'll just showcase the tech companies that will give them that solution. And they'll be able to engage directly with that company. They don't have to go through us. So I'm excited to be able to offer that because it, there are a lot of tech companies out there and some of them are geared towards enterprise. So they come already with a really high price, but then you have some that are gearing towards the smaller and medium-sized brands and they are really reasonable and affordable to be able to adopt, putting that out there because I think that could be really good. But I think my advice would really be to stay true and authentic to who you are and what you're doing. I mean, I take us and we're not a brand, but just as an example, we only started a little over three years ago. And we already have had over 600 CEOs and founders speak. We're in partnership with the United Nations. Like, you know, we just partnered with the government in Saudi Arabia last year. Like crazy things have happened in a very short amount of time. And it, up to last year, it was just me, my husband, and a group of interns. So we really did it all just me and him, basically, with a little bit of help. We needed a lending hand. Now we're fortunate to have a team behind us. We are now a team of 12, which we're really excited about. It was a huge milestone last year. But... Everything we did, it took time. It took a lot of perseverance. It took a lot of sweat and tears. But we believed in what we were doing. And we never, ever changed our ideal of what we wanted and what we were going for, even though there were a lot of outside noise and a lot of things that we could have implemented because it was the trend. 
So I think like staying true to who you are, staying true to what you're doing, staying authentic to your community, really engaging your community, even if it's 10 people, but if you have 10 like devoted, amazing clients, it's a lot better than having a hundred fluid ones that will go to the next thing that they see and just building on that. Because I think that that's really the future of fashion. So I would say that that would be my, my advice. I love that. And I'll get the link from you and your team later, but I'll have the tech directory in the show notes because I think that'll be really helpful for folks. And so I, I really agree with you. And I always say this to my clients in our community that you need to laser focus on your objectives and your goals and ignore the noise because there's noise all the time. And to really push the boundaries of your business and even the industry, we need to focus. 100%. And I think the industry is ready to be pushed and they want fresh ideas and they want people that are authentic. And they also want people that are real. Like I, you know, and it sounds crazy, but like we just had our first dinner. We're doing a dinner series, Spring Studios. We just partnered with them beginning of this year in New York. And we invited 25 CEOs and founders to be part of this dinner. And this is the one I mentioned that was easy to get people because it was exclusive in a sense. But the reason we did that is because we want our speakers to meet each other face-to-face and be able to have collaborations be formed. But what was interesting is at that dinner, everybody was really like very laid back, having drinks, hugging each other, like meeting, even though it was for the first time, it felt like they knew each other forever. And after we finished it, the team at Spring that do this like day in and day out with many big companies and big platforms, they were like, you know, I've never, this was super successful and the energy they were like, I can't even explain it because people were so happy to be here, you know, and they were so like just excited. And I've never seen this type of atmosphere with these types of personas. And I honestly think that it's because my husband and I and our whole team, we have a very big, strong company culture. And that the way that I'm speaking to you is the way that I speak to everybody. It's transparency. It's who we are. And it's not going to be for everybody. There are people that are going to be like, okay, you're too laid back. You're too... Like, you know, but I feel like the people that get it, like they become really like fond of us and they become loyal to us, you know? So we're building this amazing community of like people that want to make a difference. So it's just about building, it's just about knowing who is your tribe, who are you trying to attract and stay true to that because you don't want to be someone that is for everybody because then you don't really have like, and also what's your purpose? Know what your purpose is and be clear about it. Because people, they follow purpose and people want something that they can be a part of that's purposeful. No, I love that. I completely agree. And so the last kind of pillar I want to talk about is diversity and inclusiveness. And you talked about this a little bit already, but what do you think are some of the challenges in this space? Because I do think the industry has made some progress, which is great, but there's still a long ways to go to. So I think somebody actually gave me a lesson on this, and this is something I'm going to preface by saying I'm not an expert in it quite yet, but I'll actually give you a really nice story that is very, um, it was amazing actually. So when we started doing our digital events, third one was literally like going to happen a day after the George Floyd, literally the day after it was going to be our event. We had like 60 speakers. It was all planned. We didn't know, like it was just what the event was going to be had nothing to do with, you know, really focusing on George Floyd and all of that that happened, Black Lives Matter. And we had, I think out of 60 speakers, we always, you know, we had a lot of people from, we actually had a whole panel from China, Saudi Arabia, Brazil. I think maybe we had, if I have to guess now, let's say 15 or 14 people of color out of 60, right? Not because we didn't want more, because those are the people that approached us and said, yes, we can speak. We approached other they couldn't. So anyway, so right before, when that happened, everybody was like, oh my gosh, what are you going to do? Are we still going to speak? Do you want to cancel? I had no idea what to do. I was so like, you know, blindsided by it all. And I really wasn't an expert to know how do we really, because inclusive and diverse, diversity, inclusive, inclusivity and diversity are two completely different things, right? And I didn't even know that until I took this lesson. But the team at Mara Hoffman, Mara was supposed to speak. They came and they were so amazing. They emailed us and they were like, look, we think that there's a little bit of like tone deafness in the way that you're doing this. If you're going to persist with it, let us help you. They guided us through it. They explained to us the difference between inclusivity and diversity. They nominated about 10 women of color and men of color to speak at the event last minute if we wanted to approach them. They really helped us so much. And this is when I say it's okay to not know everything. And it's okay. Like a lot of people, I feel like maybe they don't understand how can you do better with that. 
anything that they ask, people will think like, oh my gosh, how come you don't know? That's so ignorant of you. You're a racist, whatever. But if you come out and you blatantly say, I need help, I want to do better, you know, help, help me like, and help me understand what can I do more of? And so it's something that we, it was super, it was so emotional. We ended up doing the event because they said, I want to, we changed everything around. It was all about solidarity and inclusion. We had, we did a moment of silence to begin the event. We were able to do it just with like 24 hours notice, but it was important for us to keep the event, to show people that we wanted to do better, to also show people that instead of shedding our voices, let's elevate the voices of these 60 people to really showcase to the world the importance of this movement. So to answer your question in a really long uh, way, we are always improving. I feel like the industry, sometimes if they don't know, they don't ask, so they don't do. So the only thing I would say to that is like, keep asking, keep learning, keep doing better. Because if you just ask for help, people are willing to help and give advice. And that's the only way that we're going to improve. And that is an industry. Because again, I think it's the silence that kills us with that. Because we were able to really just, it's been a whirlwind since Mara's team. And I have to give them all a lot of credit for that. And also Vernita, there's a, a lady by the name of Vernita. when she used to write uh, for Hypebeast. And she's really into inclusivity and diversity. So I invited her in a clubhouse and we did a whole chat on that. And she taught me so much in that conversation. So I just started really surrounding myself around people that I thought could really elevate and help us with that. And now it's like a core pillar of ours that we're, you know, so much further ahead than we were when we didn't know as much as we should have known at that point. But education is everything. And I think the industry needs more of that when it comes to adapting more of that into their business model. Yeah, and it's this general theme of education, right? Like education about diversity and inclusiveness and also about sustainability and just being proactive about it to your point, because just because you don't know doesn't mean you just stay silent and you stay ignorant. Like you need to be proactive and reach out to people and also learn on your own time as well so that you can continuously improve and also be open to that too. 100%. No, it was a, it was an amazing, it was super stressful. (laughs) But it was an amazing, amazing experience. And um, and yeah, and, and we give back a lot to like, uh, so we're partnered with an organization in Brazil called Jota Cre. They employ um, and they give opportunities to talent in the favelas, which are the sons in Brazil. I'm from Brazil. My husband's from Brazil. So our whole campaign, if you go on our website, all the models are from the favelas. We shot it in Brazil. The makeup artists, filmmakers, everybody was from the favelas. But it went further than just a campaign. So our event right after we filmed that, we, because it's a free event, we made a donation optional for everyone who attended and we gave all the donations to them and we continue to work with them and create documentaries to really get the stories out about what they do. So what I, what I learned is inclusivity is when you include all races, ethnicities, et cetera, when it comes to fashion in your campaign, but diversity is when you go a step further and you really help those people and that whatever it is that you're doing, that movement go further rather than just the, what you see in, in picture. And by learning that difference, which I did, I thought it was the same thing for a very long time. We just started to do a lot more acting um, as far as the company goes to really make sure that we, we don't just show what we do. And I think the industry needs more of that. Yeah. And thanks for defining the difference. I think that'll be really helpful for folks listening. And one more thing too, that I've really learned over this past year or so is also to be proactive with your education, which I talked about, because a lot of the times we ask for help, but you know, these folks have been marginalized and oppressed for so long. They're dealing with so much stuff so that we also need to be respectful of their time too. Like it's not their job to educate us. We need to educate ourselves. So, you know, utilize Google, utilize Instagram, read some books, you know, also take your education in your own hands too. And so I do want to dive a little bit deeper into things you talked about previously. So you casually mentioned that you went from yourself and your husband and a few interns to 12 people on your team. And that is not a small feat. So can you talk a little bit about hiring tips, growing your team? Like, what does that look like now? Did you run into any scaling issues? Because yeah, I would love to dive into that. That was a process that was very difficult for us. Because well, for one, cash flow as a startup 
you know, we're only three and some years old. Um, so I'll give a few tips that work for us. So first, for us, it's really important that whoever works in our team has the same like vision persona as we do. And so if anybody ever sits in one of our team meetings, you guys would have a blast because like, we're a bunch of crazy like Brazilians, like in a good way. But like all of our team is from Brazil, except for one from Colombia. And we just really love life and we love people. And we're like, every time we have a win, we like go nuts. Like it's just really, it's an environment where everyone applauds and celebrates one another. I hate the word employee because I think it's so demeaning of someone that's helping your company grow. So team members, we're all treated the same. We're all on the same like playing field. The title doesn't matter because we're all going after the same goal. So that's super important when we hired. Um, the way we're able to do it is because we're a corporation and because we connect, we can work internationally in terms of building team and work, et cetera. So as I mentioned, Brazil, because Brazil right now, the dollar is very favorable, but what we paid them here for us, dollar-wise, it's really inexpensive in comparison, but we're paying them very high wage to where they wouldn't be able to get a job paying as much as they get paid in Brazil at the moment. So we're giving opportunities to families there through hiring these individuals that are now part of our team. So we were able to do that and it worked on both ends really well. So that was something that I definitely recommend, like depending on where you're from and if they are fluent in English, of course, and the other language is something that worked very well for us. Otherwise, we would never be able to do it. And then also bringing people in. So we, I'm a big believer that in a company, everyone, sales should be something that everyone focuses on in different areas. So like, even though, you know, we have our head of content, she does content, but she always is also looking for opportunities to sell or to create projects or to see what we can monetize in terms of a you know platform goes so I think everyone we have a very big like sales culture in our company so where if you're head of content if you're creative whatever you do sales is always in the back of everybody's minds we also started taking out recently like bank loans but we did a lot of research to make sure that we get affordable ones because we could have gotten the investor route but I feel like when you're such a small company still and you're just starting and you're on your momentum and you have your vision to bring an investor in is kind of tricky because it can take that away from you. And I feel like your vision is your biggest asset when you're starting. So I think look out for affordable bank loans. I think that's always the best route if you need to raise capital. Um, so that's something we've been doing recently because as our team grows, cash flow is not yet quite there to, for us to be in the positive. So that's something that we've done a little bit of, but we do it smart. Make sure you're smart about it, you know, and you take one out at a time, you pay it off, you get credit with that loaner and you keep going. I'm trying to think of everything we've done. I'm giving all, all of our little things that we've done. But at the end of the day, I think like, um, you know, these 12, they're irreplaceable. They're family. Like we always joke around over sisters and brothers. If like somebody, one of our clients says something bad about one, we'd rather take, like, take the client out, not the person that is part of our team. So I think it's just like, once you do start hiring, just really treat it like, Make sure that they're part of a team. Make sure that you're all on the same page. And the sales thing. I think like everybody should be, no matter what you are, sales should be a part of what everybody does. I think that helps. So I hope that answers your question. I gave you just some tips in terms of what we did. No, that's great. And I'm also curious for, for you and your husband, if you were so involved before, how was it like losing or not losing, but, you know, letting go of control and delegating? Like, did you find that difficult at all? Or were you really glad for the help? So I still have a hard time with that, honestly, because if it's something that we have to get done and I know somebody else is doing it until they finish it, I'm always like, how did it look? Where did it go? Did it go the right way? Not so good with that. But my husband, um, I have to say, I... So both of us kind of separated roles once we got the team in because it's already hard to work with a husband and be 24 hours together and to have the same like, you know, role, it's even harder. So I'm relationship sales. He's the team lead, the back end, the business head. So he really leads the team. But I feel like I'm getting better. I think like it's also about getting to know your team and make, you know, seeing what they do and seeing them do right a couple of times until you're like, okay, they got it, you know? And because just recently we brought in another five. So let's say seven that were before the five, those seven, I, not that I don't trust everybody, but I trust to delegate because I've gotten to work with them longer. 
So I think it's also like a process, but it is hard. It's super hard to let go, especially when you're still, you know, three and a half years in and you want to make sure that everything is going out the way that you envision it. But also once you let go, you realize that new things come at hand and new ideas come to play. And then you're like, oh, that actually really worked. And I wouldn't have done that. So you start to implement. And I think that's what's important. And that's why I'm such a big believer in different voices, because I think new ideas can really freshen up whatever it is that you've been doing for three, three and a half years. So, yeah. So there's different perspective about it. Yeah, totally. And I, I ask because I always tell myself this too, but you know, the concept is you train them, you empower them, and then that trust builds up over time, right? And you give feedback and then the working relationship just flourishes. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm also really curious about how you manage the work with you and your husband, because to your point, you're seeing each other 24 seven. So how do you, how do you both like balance that? And how do you work on that? A lot of yoga, just kidding now. A lot of wine. <laughs> a lot of meditation. Um, so that's not easy on it. And that is not an answer that I have quite figured out yet. But I feel like, so I, I hear his voice right now because he's in another meeting at the other end of the house. And we have the babies at home. We have a four and a five-year-old. So what I feel is that, so one, if you're in a home office scenario, which most startups are, different places in the house. Even if it's the living room and the bedroom and you're in an apartment, it's still different spaces, right? So, and try not to see each other like often, like during the day. And then at night, I just try to kind of zone, like he's a workaholic. I love what I do, but I also love me time and my family time, but he's more of like work, 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 work. So at night, like we kind of end up just separating as well in a little bit because he goes to keep working and I go to watch reality TV shows. I need to kind of shut my brain up at the end of the day. And then whenever we're with the kids, we just have a policy of no work talk and just family. It's not easy. I don't have an answer because it's really not easy, but I think it's just communication. I think it's understanding when to give each other space. And also my husband, every now and then he gives me a present where he gives me 24 hours off life. And I get a hotel room 10 minutes away from my house and I check in and I literally just order room service and do nothing. It's not like I go out and party, but 24 hours, I disappear. He stays with the kids and then I come back and it's crazy, but only 24 hours will make you feel like a new person. And then you come back with new ideas, new thoughts, like loving your husband again, just kidding. <laughs> but it's, it's definitely not easy. You have to communicate and just have time to yourself. Yeah, no, but it sounds like you've been really intentional with those boundaries around, you know, family time and time for yourself. And I think that's great because you need to fill your own cup before you can fill up your family's cup, your business cup, you know. And lately, today, I've been talking to somebody like I was talking to a friend, but I've been feeling a little when you're an entrepreneur, I feel like there's phases where you go like three, four months where you're like, go, 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 go. And then all of a sudden you start to die down. And you don't know what it is. And you're like, where's the motivation? What's happening? I'm tired. I'm annoyed. And that those are the signs, the intuitive signs that it's time for you to take a pause, whatever that pause may be for you. And lately, I've been feeling a little bit of that pressure only because also aside from work, the kids get sick and everybody was sick for like two weeks. And I feel like today is a day, for example, that I will go to him tonight and be like, I'm feeling a little burned out. I need a little bit of a break. I don't need 24 hours, but like just a break, you know? So I think it's just important to learn, to listen to yourself and not just keep pushing because if you decide I'm not going to say anything, I'm just going to keep working. It's not going to be good for anybody. The work is not going to be as good. You're going to be annoyed. Like everybody's going to suffer from it and no one is going to die if a few hours are taken out of whatever it is that you were supposed to do, you know? And, and so I totally agree with you. I think it's so important. Yeah. And I'm curious, do you believe in work-life balance or do you not believe in it? And also, I know there's a lot of folks either that have young children or are thinking of having young children. So how do you manage or balance that? The children part is really hard. I have a little bit of like mom guilt a lot of times because they're my number one. Like for me, if somebody said your business is like either your business goes bankrupt, but your kids are miserable, your kids are happy, whatever, like that. I would choose my kids any day over anything, but because they're like, you know, they're happy, they're having their daily happy lives. I feel like sometimes I'm like working too much or I'm not 
reading with them enough after school, like, you know, and, and it makes me feel guilty when a teacher is like, they need to catch up a little bit because I'm like, I could be doing more. It's really hard. So I do, to answer your question, believe in work-life balance because I used to say balance wasn't a thing, but I think it is. I think a lot of people, they're like, oh, work and life is the same because if you work and you do what you love, it's also your life. But I think there's a difference, you know, because I think like, I think the best way to explain it is if you are working, that's your work time. You shut up and I'm watching the reality show. That's my me time. There are times like last night I watched Shark Tank and I got a huge insight for a panel for my September event because one of the judges, I was like, oh my God, we invited her to speak. And she just went into this with Mark Cuban and it's inclusive and I could bring the three of them together. So all the stuff went in my head. So it does happen where there's overlap. But I think like when you're with your kids and it's kids and mommy time, there's no room for business to come into my head, you know, and I don't want it to. And I'll never let that happen. So I do believe in balance. I do think there will always be overlaps in certain moments of inspiration, but I do believe in balance. And I think it's really important actually, because I think otherwise you just get really overwhelmed. And then sometimes you could make the wrong decision going towards something that's not as important as the other. Amazing. That's great. And I I can't agree more with you because I really feel like in recent years, I've heard a lot more people say they don't believe in balance. It doesn't exist. And I think there's a happy medium, you know, like where you take care of yourself, like we've been talking about, but you also make sure that you show up the best way possible for your business too. And if that's not happening, you take a step back because no one's, you know, you're not going to be productive or efficient. It's just a waste of time. Yeah. And I used to be one of those people that said there's no such thing as balance. <laughs> But recently, I have to say, I don't know what it was, but like I went on a trip last week to New York uh, for a gala to Mercado Global. It's this amazing organization. And I don't know what it was about that trip, but I stepped on a plane and I felt a really like light air about everything, about not only me, but the people around me. Like people were coming into the plane, making jokes, making friends. I've never seen anything like it. It was weird. Something was off in a good way. But that trip, I actually like woke up one morning and I'm like, I need a journal. I need to start writing a journal. I just decided to do that. So I went and I bought one and I just wrote one quote so far. I'm not going to force myself to write in it just when things come. But as I did this, so like going to buy the journal and just like looking at the, like, I don't know, I just kind of took a step back. I was there, but I took a step back as if it wasn't me and just looked around me. And that one moment of inspiration, it kind of changed a lot of things for me. And it was just that one trip. I can't explain it. I'm very spiritual. Sometimes I think things happen. But I definitely, have Have you had asked me about the balance a month ago, I would have been like, no, everything is the same. Today, I see that there is balance. And I am starting to understand what that looks like. So I think also as an entrepreneur, you grow, not only in terms of as a person, but you like you, you change. It's like what they say you change when you're 20, 30, 40, 50. It's the same thing as an entrepreneur. You start to change, you start to see things differently and things start to come out at you that you're like, oh my gosh, how did I never see this before or realize this before? And you become a better person for it, especially again, if you're doing it with purpose and for the right reasons. Yeah, I love that. And so I'm really curious because you've done a lot of events, uh, met a lot of speakers. So what do you think are some of your three biggest lessons or takeaways? And I know this might be really hard, but your top three. For events and things like that? like Yeah, like just things you've learned from like those different speakers and events you've hosted. One, don't try to keep pushing someone who doesn't want to be a speaker at your event ever. Every time you ask, they say no. It's just because they're not meant to be there and they're not meant to be part of the conversation and they don't align with your values. That's something that we've learned because it was annoying. Like when you email somebody 50 times and they always say, I'm going to think about it. And then the next email is no, every time. So you're like, you're not thinking about it. <laughs> you know, so that's one. Just, you know, stay, go around those that want to be around you. The other one, I would say, the second one is don't stress so much if you're not making a ton of money right away or it's not coming in as fast as you would like it to or sponsors are not coming in and you're like why not you know I have this amazing event because once you start to build traction around what you're doing it's going to start coming and also again it's all I'm going to like I, I didn't mention too much about spirituality because I don't want to be like the the secret in person but I, I'm a big believer in like you know things will be attracted to you when it's supposed to timing is everything I would say that 
And the last thing I would say is relationship. You know, it's not just about, hi, what do you do? Oh, cool. What can we do for each other? Okay, awesome. But it's really like, it's been pretty amazing how many relationships I have with past speakers from the big, big names to the smaller ones. But knowing like about their family lives, like getting to have met them for drinks, like no, not business related, like just wanting to get to know them, to know them as who they are as a person. Building that relationship, oh my gosh, it goes such a long way for so many things. And just even for yourself to like enrich yourself, you know, with getting to know that other person at a deeper level, it's super important. And I think not enough people do it. So I'd say those three things. Yeah. I love it. Well, I want to be respectful of your time, but what's next for fashion innovation? What do you have on your, your list for this year? What are some of your goals? So we have our tech directory that I mentioned. We also just launched our ethical brand directory. It's not a marketplace. It's just for knowledge and research of brands that you should be shopping. We have our partnership, like I mentioned, with Spring Studios. So the dinner series will be ongoing throughout the year. The next one will be in May for global sustainability. We are finally, finally going back to a physical aspect of our worldwide talks. In September, it's going to be a digital event. So really excited about that because it's the first time that we're going to have a 250-person event at spring um, and to see everyone in person and just be able to be back in that way will be great. And we just closed in a partnership with Dragon Fashion Week, which is a huge Brazilian fashion festival that happens. It's been 22 years in the making and it's going to be at the end of May and they're going to do a Fashion Innovation Day where we're going to be able to bring our vision of innovation and sustainability to Brazil, to Ceará in Fortaleza. So really excited about that. And the last thing we are, so I wrote a book last year. I published a book called It Can Be You to Humanize Homelessness Through the Voices of Fashion Influencers. And because we give back to Help USA through the book that I published, as well as Chata Crea that I mentioned with the favelas and Open Style Lab and Parsons, we've worked with them in the past. There's a lot of organizations that we give back to, but no one knows because we're not proactive about putting it out there. We're launching Fashion Innovation Gives um, in the next week, probably where we'll be able to showcase all of the foundations that we support and do ongoing projects throughout the year to be able to keep raising funds and awareness for those foundations. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, how can everyone stay in touch and support you? What are your links? We'll have them down in the show notes. Yeah, well, one, I'd love to connect on a personal level, as I've mentioned in many times in different parts of this interview. So my personal Instagram, like I'd love to just get DMs and have conversations and meet people. I love it. I could do this all day long. This is what I'd love to do. So it's I am Jordana Gimeta is my full name. My the company Fash Innovation, Fash F-A-S-H Innovation fully spelled out that NYC. Website the same, Twitter the same, LinkedIn, like reach out to me. We just love to connect. You know, we have calls. I had like about anything and everything. So if you're a startup needing advice, if you're someone wanting to connect with someone you've seen in one of our events or want to say hi, like, I love it. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Jordana. This is great. And I know folks will take a lot out of it. Thank you so much. And that concludes this episode. If you enjoyed it, please take a screenshot, share it to your Instagram stories and tag us at Recloseted. Make sure you subscribe to our Recloseted Radio podcast on your preferred podcast platform so that new episodes are automatically downloaded and you don't miss any of our free resources. Lastly, don't forget to rate our podcast five stars and leave us a positive review. That really helps us and continues to allow us to provide this podcast for free. Together, let's write the harmful fashion industry.